Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. Today is Tuesday, May 5th, and I don't sound like a garbage disposal anymore. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Russ, Tyler, how y'all doing? So good. Doing good. Awesome, man. I, uh, Russ, I saw that photo that you posted of Kate in her little Kubernetes onesie. Too cute, too cute. All right. (laughs) Kate in a Kate shirt. All right. right. uh, What topics are y'all looking at this morning? Oh, all kinds of stuff, man. I think a fun little one um, was uh, a COBOL will never die article. It wasn't super exciting, but it, it's just... That's for not me, fun, even a little bit. It, it, well, that's, but that's what's that. fun about it, is that, you know, I, I personally have no real experience with COBOL, but for my entire life, I've heard people talking about it, and it's always been sort of a joke in the sense that somebody's expecting it to die, but then somebody's also really aware of the fact that it's never going to because of some of the applications that are just absolutely critical and built on top of it, right? Well, apparently they are uh, actively seeking researchers to um, keep it alive. Uh, and, the, and there's a spike in interest because uh, that, that looks like the 60s. So the boom is actually right back to the 60s from a level of interest perspective. Um, is this people the smell money. This is the unemployment stuff, right? No, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 that's well, part it's of it. The, um, the unemployment systems run on and they're struggling right. to keep up with the demand. Exactly, exactly. So uh, again, it's just, it cracks me up every time, you know, you just don't hear about COBOL for a little while and then you realize that the infrastructure that literally runs this country and I'm certain others as well is uh, built on top of it. So anytime there's a spike in demand, there's a spike in demand for COBOL developers, which means there's another generation that is brought into the fold to carry this torch forward. And it's just, it's great. I mean, <laughs> I think I, I genuinely think people just smell money, man. That you're seeing is a situation that's like, Hey, there's like 15 people who know how to actually work with COBOL right now. So if I'm the 16th, so someone is going to give me money to fix these systems. And so that's Job security too, to right? where the spike of interest is coming in. I mean, here's the reality, man. If you combined all three of our ages, we are not that much older than COBOL. So there's just, there just aren't people in the workforce right now that, you know, most of them are retired. I saw one guy who was 85 or 86 was offering to come out of retirement to help, help work on some of these systems, right? I mean, that's just a, you, whenever you start having people who move out of the workforce you need, that are supporting your systems, you need to start thinking about a plan to move away from those systems. And, and I understand the complexities. In fact, I've been spending a decent amount of time reading on it just because it's fascinating to me. It's relevant to what we do every day. Uh, but I, it's just, it's amazing to me that no one, that they were just unwilling to move from these systems. And a lot of it comes down to budget. You know, a lot of these COBOL systems are running in government entities that are underfunded, not getting, not getting what they need to be able to make the moves. But now we're seeing dramatic repercussions from that for people not being able to, to get unemployment checks when they absolutely need them the most. Yeah. Yep. When speaking of uh, government entities, UK's NHS contact tracing app, which we talked about, I believe, last week with Lisa Clark, uh, but apparently it will not work unless it's running in the foreground, it has to be the open application on your phone. I read about your this. phone has to be awake and unlocked. 
do you give it do you give it odds of success greater than 0.01 percent <laughs> no no, no, I'd actually give it a less less odds of success than that. Yeah, right. And I think Lisa exactly was even zero. talking about that. It's like if it's going to eat your battery, then it's dead to me, right? And uh, yeah. obviously, it's not not on my short list of apps because I'm not I don't live in the UK. But um, no, I, I think stuff like that's going to be a huge barrier to entry. And it actually dovetails another article that I read uh, this week, which was. Uh, it's projected that half of U.S. citizens don't trust contract chasing apps either. Um, so whether it's the Google, Apple sort of consortium in their efforts or, or some sort of centralized offering, just in general, we're, we're skeptical of it and what it might be used for, what the data yeah. might be used for. And um, one of the, I guess, more interesting bits that I pulled out of the topic is that researchers actually expect that if it's any, any, if anything less than 60% of the population uses it, it probably won't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, just good luck. You're not going to get 60% of the population adopting any one of these technologies, let alone any of them, I think. I, I, you can't get people to vote in the United States at a higher click than that, let alone run an app. Yeah. Well, and after it looking into- your every move. <laughs> yeah. Well, and after looking into the NHS version here, UK's NHS version, um, and all the stuff written into it, you know, we can use all the data uh, at some later time for research, quote unquote. Uh, I'm kind of like- Warm eh, fuzzy for right? me. Well, yeah, oh, wait. The, the Apple and Google versions um, seem a lot better. <laughs> it's decentralized. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, the, the APIs that they leverage aren't exposed to anything else. You know, all other apps in their app stores are, um, are prohibited from using them as well. So, but yeah, how do you build something that you expect to stay on and in the foreground and your phone's awake and unlocked? That's insane. No, that's not you shouldn't. That's what it comes down to. That's something you should not do. And they should, they should honestly stop their efforts right now if that's their plan and focus on something else it's a poor use of time yeah no no no. they should they should keep doing their thing right and then you should get facebook to develop an app as well because then you will have two options that are so bad in the public eye that they might actually gravitate to the third one and uh apple yeah. and google also released <laughs> <laughs> release some sample code with uh some ui screenshots and um, you know, some alert notification stuff saying, Hey, here's what it's going to look like, uh, for us. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it, you, you know, you, you get the, the giant, like, you know, the submarine sounding like, wah, wah, wah. you know, we're going under here. Uh, if you've come in contact <laughs> with sounds. somebody, but Boop. yeah. Um, yeah. They, and apparently, um, Apple and Google have been responding to sort of public pushback too. So they've got a fact out there and they're trying to change how they're uh, either presenting it or how they're actually developing it. And I haven't read the details about it, so I can't get into it too much, but they, they are saying, you know, we're not sharing this data. We're not collecting this data. The intent is not to do that. It's just to track, you know, people interacting. Right. And then uh, the exactly zero to, people are going to believe that. Well, right. and that's the issue. And that was my joke about Facebook. It's like, I'm certain that Facebook developers could make a fantastic application and who knows, they might actually get to 60% faster than everybody else. But nobody trusts Facebook to not use your data against you at some point. So yeah, that's all that was. Yeah. Well, Speaking of another... Apple and Google and these people, I have a bone to pick with Apple. I don't know if you guys saw their 13 inch MacBook 
ultra pro YOLO machine that came out. But if you configure that thing to the absolute maximum specs, and Julie, I know you love Apple. I know a bunch of people who are probably listening to this love Apple. I know Tyler I and I don't. I like never Apple. said I love Apple. But yeah, you do. Well, from and, an, I mean, I use an iPhone. Oh, and you love that an Apple. MacBook that you had for, for a long I'm time. I'm not an Apple. Because I got Fiercely it for free defensive. to learn it like five years ago. I'm, well, I, let I me tell you what you're Apple not family. getting for free. What you're not getting for free is this new MacBook Pro 13-inch that if you configure all the way up to like, that's 32 gigs of RAM, four terabytes of, of SSD in it, which is actually pretty cool for a 13-inch machine. But it also only has a well, four-core, 10th gen Intel, and integrated graphics. Who wants to guess the price? No, I would like love a, for someone so to $12,499. You're pretty close. Tyler, well, any, no, uh, any guesses? No, it's I, not that. I was... Is he, it's not that high? I was totally going to guess higher than that. I was going to say it was, it's closer to $1,800. It's, it's $3,600 for, for that in a third. I wish I wrote down my doctor. first thought. I'm dead serious. Like once, once Bewley said 12 and Russ laughed and said it was close, I was like, I got to revise this. Yeah, it, that's been my experience is that when you go, and it's not just Apple either. Um, I know I like to rag on Apple. That's just because, you know, I have baggage in my tech background. But um the uh, the the premium device, higher end spec, really from anyone, it, like the, the price has just crept up so so high. Yeah. One. It, it's the thing really is, is to... that that spec or that price range, anything above two thousand, you need to have a dedicated GPU of, right. of some kind, and it, like you can get a, 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 a maxed out razor blade 15 which is kind of like the windows equivalent to a mac from a chassis perspective like very nice screens really nice you know uh unibody chassis and all this stuff for three grand that has a 2080 super max q in it which is the top oh, wow. mobile gpu in there 32 gigs of ram terabyte hard drive and the thing is i thought to myself i was like you know what if this is four terabytes of ssd maybe that's driving the price up if you remove that entirely and put the smallest one and it removes like 500 bucks so no matter what yeah. you're over three grand for like the top spec of what you have right. there and i'm sure there's a large range of like 1800 to 3600 but that's just insane to me that once you're getting to that three grand plus range you don't even have the ability to have a dedicated gpu unless you externalize it with thunderbolt 3 which they do have on the laptop thank god but that's just, it was egregious to me, the fact that that would be a $3,600 laptop with- I would pay $3,600 really for it if it had like four days of battery life. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> it's, hard it does. Be, you know, it's hard to beat, it's hard to beat the XPS 13, honestly. That's been- uh, Dude, The XPS 13, nice. I think is the best 13 inch laptop on the market. Yeah, for a number yeah. of years. I love that form factor too. 13 inches for me is, is beautiful. And I, I don't know, just as a function of the job, I keep ending up with bigger honking machines, but- um, I, I love those tiny, lightweight, long battery life, just enough. I'm not needing dedicated GPU support, so none of that means anything to me, Russ. But I'm not going to pay $3,600 for an ultra-portable laptop. I'm just not. That's yeah, and not I, don't know what you can, I don't know what you can configure it up to, but it starts at like 850 You can see Russ's face. He's so mad that I said that out loud. You're not allowed to <laughs> say that. I'm very uncomfortable <laughs> with that notion. <laughs> I wanted to jump back real quick. So there was something that you said as we were talking about um, Google and Apple and that contact tracing stuff and trusting, uh, I think you were maybe mentioning Facebook or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, 
there was something I had never thought about. Like whenever you think about, uh, you know, data security and all that kind of stuff, when you talk with customers, you have to talk about a lot of the internal risk of a disgruntled employee, um, you know, gaining access to, to data they shouldn't have or deleting something they shouldn't or whatever. There's a story this morning that I'm not sure I've heard before, but apparently somebody was wanting to get at some data at Roblox and they just bribed a support employee to get high wow. profile users, uh, passwords reset, wow. um, get access to a bunch of different information. That's a bad look. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> It, well, you know what's interesting? It, you hear about that a lot. You say, you know, you can do all these things to protect your system, but at the end of the day, social engineering is still, you know, a huge vector that is extremely difficult to control, right? I don't think it's as blatant at that often. Like literally bribing somebody to get it done just seems bold to me. But how often do we have systems that are compromised because of a phone call you thought was serious or a spoofed email address and you're just not, you know, paying close attention? I think that the phishing side of that and, and any of the other social engineering sort of methodologies is still alive and well. And that's not just a technology fix. You've got to have people process fixes in place to prevent either how widespread any one person and the damage they could do can be, or um, you know, I, what education, I mean, shoot, there's, there's lots of stuff you can do, but that, that part of the industry, I don't think gets nearly as much attention. With security, we're always a step behind. And I mean, with, with this bribery aspects, I mean, all you can do is educate on the consequences of accepting said bribe, <laughs> right? Because I, that's, it, that's not someone making a mistake. I mean, that was, that's, that's just true. what most, that's mostly what happens, right? I mean, yeah, I guess you could argue it's a mistake to actually accept the bribe and do that stuff. But that is someone who is knowingly and willingly doing something that I'm, I'm certain they understood was nefarious. And and still moving forward with it because so. you know they they got they got money for it so that or they need it right I think that's the other side of, of that coin is that the you know somebody in that position I, obviously there's got to be some level of disgruntled sort of you know I don't get paid enough for the crap I have to deal with sort of things but um, then you always wonder what the other one is heck uh, actually from my time at Lockheed right when you're going through security clearance background checks and stuff like that something they pay really close attention to is money and not just your money but your family and, and sort of near bubble or close near bubble and, and their financial situations, because one of the easiest ways to be compromised socially like that is to be in a situation where you or a loved one is so desperate for help that you're willing to bend or break your sort of ethical norm. And, and so that financial avenue is, is very real and very well known. And I think Russ, you're, you're right. Unfortunately, I think the only way that they, that you kind of combat that efficiently is to make sure that people know they're being watched, right? So literal eyes on walls sometimes, right? Um, but also just systems, logs, audit trails, that sort of stuff. So, so it's obvious that it's going to be very difficult for you to do something without it leaving a paper trail. But then understanding out the gate that if you were caught doing something like that, that the consequences are severe. Yeah, and, and the downside of this is that the people who are who are the the bribers, they they are they don't care about those consequences. They're no, going to keep not. asking these people because they have they have no skin in the game to like they know the lines are being recorded or the logs are being viewed. Yeah, but that's not what they're worried about. Nope. Here's your you know hundred bucks. Get me this people's sure. information and let's just move forward. So, so that, our stick is rarely that now long. Now that this right? was successful once, yeah. 
once it's successful one time, man, it, it doesn't stop. It's gonna, that's going to be something Stretching that's going to be here fire. to stay. Maybe it's already been here a long time and we haven't heard about it, but uh, that's the unfortunate I, I'm side hopeful. Of this, Actually, that's, there's the, the optimistic side of that, right, is I'm, I'm hopeful that you just don't hear about it happening as often. And let's hope that it's because, you know, people aren't getting caught. Like, hopefully they're not doing it and not getting caught. Um, but it, it's – you don't hear it because more people aren't willing to – again, bend or break that ethical standard for, uh, for some money or they're not so desperate for it that they have to, right. Or feel they have to. And Tyler, you just mentioned something too, uh, that ties to another news article I saw, uh, or stuff I've been seeing on Twitter as well. Uh, but when you mentioned eyes on walls with all these, uh, working from home or working at home people, um, you know, how, however you want to define that or look at this, there's been a lot of software that's been released by a number of companies that have moved to this model because they've had to, where they are monitoring every aspect of their employees' days, what applications they're spending the most time in, uh, the ability for uh, management to just jump in and see your screen, all this kind of stuff, right? And some of it is being deployed on their own uh, personal laptops and whatnot. So I'm guessing you guys are huge fans of that or no, 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 it's, I wouldn't even call it a fine (laughs) line, man. When, when you're trying to make sure that people understand that there's enough information available that, that they're not able to break the law or, or dramatically damage a company that is very different than being constantly monitored. And I, I totally disagree with the, the intent there. Even I think, um, it's not people, don't need that level of scrutiny. And, and I think it's definitely a, an overstep to put it on personal devices and things like that. I, I'm not a fan of that at all. <laughs> yeah, I, there's, it's, we, so there's a Ryan Sheehan uh, who works for us at SHI, runs, runs my group. He has this saying that he always says, which is assume positive intent. There's yeah. no scenario like with which I'm going to assume positive intent for what was just described. Well, we right. have to have an understanding of what's going on with our teams. We need to communicate, but but going to the level of spying that I'm hearing, it's just it's just complete lack of trust. And yeah. if you if you have this, and you can say all you want that my people are this or my people are that, but if you have that severe of a lack of trust, then the onus really falls onto you because you hired these people. Like, do a better job of understanding who you're hiring and, and what they're working problem. through. Yeah, it's a huge cultural problem. And I'll, there's no scenario with which I'm going to get behind that sort of behavior, yeah. um, you know, for, for people being monitored like that. Like, you need to trust your employees to, to do what is right, or you need, to, you need to have a better culture. You need to hire better. You need yeah, to do these and, different things. To and what are you doing there. that has got you so concerned that your employees are going to do something in the 10 seconds you're not watching them, right? Or, or f- afraid that you're just going to pop in. I think it, there's a huge difference between a system that automatically collects logs so that an administrator can't change high profile passwords without it being captured and fear of my boss jumping into my laptop any point during the day. Those are not. The yeah. Same. And I yeah. mean, what are these managers yeah. doing all day long? I mean, are you, is your, <laughs> are you paying the managers to just like click on different people's laptop cameras and view what's going on in their house i mean that's, that's creepy just it's, just, it's more and more creepy the more we talk about this i don't i i hope stuff like that actually changes because of this like if, if you're in a situation like that uh, honestly like find a new job that sounds wrong and bad yeah. well it's a new life's not that terrible ish for most people and there's going to be bad actors right and then there's going to be 
Is it a new I frontier though? Or was that the boss that like well, walked ish. around just to see people working in their cubes and it was literally like, I'm watching you, Steve, get back to work. Yeah, that's a good like, point. Well, what you're seeing- He's super untrustworthy though. Yeah, what you're seeing <laughs> you know? is Steve wants to maintain that from a distance, right? So- From a distance. Anyway, okay, let's, uh, let's shift gears. <laughs> We're running out of time here on the show, but uh, let's shift gears maybe to some mobile phone updates. No way, uh, you said gears. Let's talk about something that's got automotive in the title because I'm okay. sorry, but I didn't even realize that Android Automotive was a thing. I don't know how I missed that. Russ is judging me right now. I know what? it. Android Automotive, not Android Friendship Auto. Over. I know, right? Like I'm sorry, I just don't Hit me chase with the facts. Android. What are we talking enough. about here? Well, okay, so so it is it is a proper Android that's forked and designed specifically for automobiles. And it's expected to basically pilot in the uh, what Polestar 2, which I guess is a, a daughter or something of Volvo. But um, it, this year, 2020. And so Google has been aggressively looking for uh, developers for the platform. And uh, I think that's awesome. We were talking about Tesla and how they just totally nailed sort of the, the digital uh, you know, car experience. So this um, is the console media interface you're talking about, the software that runs it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So instead of like Android Auto, which is an app running on some other OS that interfaces with your device and can play with the screen and stuff, this is a true Android OS for automobiles, which which is great because people can develop against it. And obviously, you know, there are millions and millions of cars out there. So you talk about end devices. This is it's just good. It's good stuff. I love it. Well, that's cool. I think the uh, I think the difference here is, is for Android Auto, it was always like this on the manufacturers to implement sort of thing. And Android Automotive will be more, much more of a, Google is controlling the fate of that system. Um, and so they're, they're actually creating something that's more consistent for people to be able to develop against. And so that's one of the major differences is that it's not just, it's not just going to be this, hey, we have this thing, here you go, do whatever you need to with it. Right. it it's more along the lines of, hey, this is what this is and you need to follow these guidelines in order to put it in. And then obviously the automotive, you know, manufacturers will ensure it works appropriately inside of their vehicles. But that's kind of what the Android automotive move is looking to be a little bit more like, which I think will be really popular because Android auto is actually extremely popular uh, yeah. all around the world. It's, it's, it's actually more widely used than uh, Apple's CarPlay is, which I guess it's not oh, overly yeah. surprising. Good, because I'm not an Apple Android fanboy, users right? out there. <laughs> <laughs> as, as Aaron phone. looks for oh, a for rental car that only supports <laughs> Apple <laughs> when I used to go pick up rental cars though I would get the one that has uh, Apple uh, it. CarPlay <laughs> that's, that's hey don't get me wrong Apple CarPlay is legit my wife uses it in her car um, her car actually supports both uh, Android Auto yeah. and Apple CarPlay so yeah, that's nice. You know, whichever one to plug into it will bring up which is really nice uh, my truck is old and busted and doesn't support anything I don't even have a rear view camera it's just I'm a pleb over here. That's but me, dude. I, I think Every... this will be great. And I'm looking forward to having it in the whatever my next vehicle is. I'm looking forward to having some form of smarter interface inside of it. We'll call At Paul least... Brern, who was on the show yesterday. And he will hook you up with all the reasons you need a Tesla Model 3. <laughs> so true. Not an ad, not sponsored. At least once a year, I, I go and I look at ripping out the console in my Ford and putting in the, the year after the year I bought, you know, that model because it has Android Auto support. And, and that is the only reason I'm talking about ripping out like the entire, you know, system related to that every year, at least once I look and I think I should do this. And Can you I still don't. drive with the giant, uh, it's not an iPad. Uh, <laughs> like a, I don't know. What, I don't. What is that? 
No, nope. It's all my phone now. My phone is sufficiently uh, large real estate wise um, that I just plop it up there. Uh, it was like yeah, an 11 for, inch for while, tablet that was mounted. Uh, I think it was eight. And it was the perfect size. It was fantastic. Uh, biggest problem with mounting a tablet to your windshield Would for be navigation. Seeing through the windshield. <laughs> no, that's not important. Uh, right. that part, that, don't need that part of the view. No, the, it got hot and it would shut off, and that's really your day. Yeah, and then you're just blocking your view. You don't even get your map. <laughs> All right, let's jump through. Uh, let me drop a couple uh, phone updates, and then y'all hit me with whatever else you see, and then let's shut it down here. But I saw um, Microsoft Outlook for iPhone and iPad. They added the ignore conversation feature to the mobile app, which is awesome, uh, given how frustrating uh, a lot of those reply alls can be and uh, you know, for the mobile age, so it's great. Additionally, Samsung, they halted the monthly Galaxy S8 updates. They're moving it to quarterly. It's uh, no longer their flagship phone, so you won't see updates that often. You guys have thoughts on that? Boo. Either one of you have that phone? I don't. I don't have it. I just don't like the limited support line that yeah. that we get on some of the uh, the Android phone manufacturers like Samsung. You know, they they make great hardware. They've improved One UI dramatically over the years. Uh, but and, and I like that they do the monthly support. And these these are security updates, by the way. Right. That's what the monthly updates are. So these are security updates. I'm glad they're at least still giving them quarterly. But I would like to see sort of a standard, you know, three years of support across the board. I think we tend to see about two. Um, these well, I think days, it just no. turned three. Uh, so the S20 just launched, S20 line, and the S8 just turned three years old. So now they're shifting it to quarterly. I just wrote. Yeah, wife, I mean, maybe that is that is improving. Maybe I should care more about method? this. Uh, my wife does, yeah. And and I have, I, I think I have that same gen note, so I'm probably in the same bucket. And the That's, last, yeah, bit you, is need, not to, cool, you need to care more about this. I, I do suddenly care more about it, but I'm not going to change my phone because I think I'm more irritated about having to refresh my device as often as I have to just to keep up with stuff like that. Plus it goes into a landfill. Make <laughs> my phone repairable. Uh, the last bit of mobile phone news today that I thought stood out. Uh, if you do have an iPhone and you are interested in the iOS 13.5 uh, public beta, you can go to nine to five Mac. I'll drop it in the show notes, but it will show you how and why you should install it if you're interested. That's Sweet. what I got, fellas. And now uh, that you guys um, have have missed me a couple times on the show, I figure I should give an esports and gaming update that you guys yes. have been, been Bring it. So esports field correspondent Russ Cantwell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I've got two. I've got one specific to esports, and I've got. Another one that actually just, when I read the, the name of the title, it reminded me of you, Buley. Um, so I'll start with the title first. Crucible, which is, uh, which is a new game. Oh, no. Yeah, I figured I, I would. It's an aspect Destiny of Destiny 2. Yeah. Uh, Wait, is it a Crucible, of Destiny? It is not. I'm sorry. But it is a new game <laughs> from Amazon. It is Amazon releasing what? their first game. It's going to be a free-to-play title. Uh, and it's going to be similar to uh, games like Overwatch, if you're familiar with those. So, and mm -hmm. it's taking yep. elements from like Dota 2. So it's like a kind of a, a character shooter sort of approach for you to play. So that's, that's going to be releasing on May 20th. So actually just around the corner. So it'll be interesting to see what, what Amazon pulls off with their, their very first game ever releasing. And it's going to be a competitive shooter, which is pretty cool. Uh, who knows if it'll turn into an esport. I'll tell you that Overwatch League is certainly struggling. I, I watched matches this weekend. They had like 14,000 oh, viewers, which is Ooh. which is not good. 
Um, moving to the good, YouTube no. streaming platform definitely wasn't ideal. Twitch definitely dominates that market. Uh, the, the other bit of esports news, which is actually very positive, is, is Rainbow Six Esports, which is kind of dissolving their pro league system and moving to this new formal structure uh, to a North American uh, esports league they're doing, where they'll actually have a very structured season with different splits and different main events that they build to in a point system that gets people qualified for their championship. This may sound obvious and like old hat, but the reality is, is that the esports ecosystem for the last 20 years has largely been based on this arbitrary invite system to large tournaments with with really? zero structure. So when you, when we think of when we think of sports leagues, we think of the NFL, we think of the NBA. It's around the uh, you know we have the regular season, the playoffs, the championship. We we follow along a storyline along the season. That's very difficult to do for a you know average viewer of an esports scene because there is no season playoff championship. You know we're starting to see that sprout up a little bit more. Uh, but Rainbow Six is taking steps towards getting uh, more structure into their system. That's going to start in June of this year, which is which is really good. Which is following suit of different you know leagues like you guys see me tweet about Overwatch League, Call of Duty League that are out there. Uh, Valve, if you're listening, please do something like this with Counter Strike. Yeah. Uh, but that's the uh, that's kind of the, the news update we have is that that was announced. That's being moved. I think it is a positive move, although a lot of people in the esports team would probably disagree. A lot of them like that grassroots sort of movement. I think what what Ubisoft and the Rainbow Six team are doing is is trying to preserve a lot of the grassroots uh, grassroots side of things with having an amateur league as well as a relegation system. So one unique thing about this is is that sort of at the end of the season, they'll have the worst pro team versus the best amateur team fight in a relegation system, which I think is actually something that happens in like European soccer or football uh, as well. So uh, it's interesting seeing the different aspects of traditional sports bleed over into esports now as it goes a lot more mainstream than it was even just five years ago. That's awesome. Cool, and, and to that point, I'm curious, and maybe this is a really stupid question because I'm thinking about what you've talked about with the average age of these players. But is there a university representation in this at all? Like, are there club sport yeah. versions of this? There are. There's actually some schools, um, and they're usually smaller schools, right? Um, schools you haven't heard of as much that, that they don't get people to come to their school for their sports teams. So they've, they've offered esports programs where they'll actually not just provide club teams. Club teams existed when, when we were in college. Uh, I actually was, I played for techs for a little while before we have unfortunately had to dissolve it due to funding issues. Uh, but the, so you were a multi-sport athlete. Multi-sport athlete, that's right. For those of y'all that don't know, I'll brag on Russ real quick before we shut this down. Oh, no. He was a division one basketball superstar. Deadly from beyond I got to America. sit on the end of the bench. You know, I had yeah. a great seat. Dividing by one, uh, it's just it's easier. <laughs> And the, uh, but they have full scholarships for some of these, these schools that, and they have full, That's awesome. uh, you'll see facilities that they build up and bring people in. And, and then even some different, uh, companies like say Epic games, who, who owns a, a game called rocket league, they do a rocket league university championship series. And you'll see, like, I think I saw something where it was, uh, UCLA versus UNLV or something the other day. Uh, I mean, it's going on right now where you have these teams that play Rocket League and they have sort of the championship series. And there's been various iterations of this over the years, but we're actually seeing esports education programs um, starting up and classes for people to take, as well as actual uh, representation from the teams and scholarship perspective inside of them, which is which is pretty cool to see. 
Well, that's awesome. It is. That is. I, I'd love to know more about uh, the recruiting side of that stuff as uh, as it matures. Um, I mean, 20 years though, like obviously, it's it's much more mature than I, I think in the back of my head, right? I wish I had known more about that when I was in college. Then again, I might not have finished college if I was competitively playing video games and somebody told me I could actually make money <laughs> doing it. <laughs> yeah, so. I definitely minored in NCAA. Football, <laughs> yeah. And I minored in Halo 2. <laughs> All right. More, more hours than math. Let's get out of here. Well, thanks Tom, again, okay. everyone, for joining us today. Russ, pleasure to have you on. Loved the eSport update. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you love what we're doing here, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, give us a listen for sure and a thumbs up. Share with your friends. Uh, it's a huge help to us. Um, and if you hate what we do, tell us. Let us know. Reach out on Twitter. Uh, give us your feedback, please. Anything positive, negative, just uh, you know, memes. I don't care. And uh, if you want to join us, let us know. All right. Simple as that. Russ, great having you. Tyler, good to yep. see you. Love it.